630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Playoffs underway. The Lightning taking it to Columbus. It's 3-0 Tampa Bay with the second period about to get underway. Kalorn, Sorelli, and Gord have scored. Penguins and Islanders tied 1-1 with eight minutes left in the first. Eberle and Kessel, the goal scorers. The Islanders also had a goal taken away because of a successful offside challenge by the Penguins. Blues and Jets about to get underway. Later, Stars and Predators and the late game tonight at 8.30. The Golden Knights and the Sharks. The Edmonton Oil Kings will try to finish off the Calgary Hitmen tonight. The Oil Kings leading that series 3-0. Wyatt McLeod scored 246 into overtime yesterday to give Edmonton a 2-1 win and that big lead in the series. Thanks a lot for tuning in. It is 6.07. My name is Reed Wilkins. Inside Sports on Eskimos and Oilers Radio 630 Ched. You can reach out by texting 630-630. Our phone number 780-496-0063. And every time we have this gentleman on the show, the text line lights up with delight because he is easily one of our most popular guests on the show. The play-by-play voice of the Red Deer Rebels, the one and only Cam Moon. Cam, how's it going, buddy? Whoa, it's going very well. I hope I can uh, live up to the build-up. All you have to do is be yourself. All right, well, that's about all I can do. <laughs> all I have, Reed. All I can do, all I have. Sounds it's like song all lyrics. all I have. Yes. How's it going? Is it, you've, you've seen the first three games in the OL Kings series? Yes. Um, well, with the Rebels losing out in the first round to Prince Albert in four straight, it has freed up my schedule considerably, and uh, I've been lucky enough to get up to Edmonton and see why well, I actually did see one game from the Medicine Hat series but I, I watched uh, Saturday Sunday up in Edmonton and then last night in Calgary and full marks to the Edmonton Oil Kings as they're up 3 nothing in the series with Calgary they've played extremely well they're absolutely deserving of that although they had to pull one out of the fire in game one where they were down 2 nothing with five minutes left and they scored with about four something and then uh, got one with the goalie on the bench late and won it no T. so good teams find ways to win i guess and last night's game was the opposite i suppose not the result because the oil kings won but calgary had to tie it up late yeah but that was a game that i thought edmonton played extremely well in and if not for the goaltending of jack mcnaughton for calgary I think the Oil Kings would have been, you know, far away in the lead by the time the end of the game came. The the Calgary Hitmen score on a five on three power play with the goalie on the bench to make it six on three. So they score late to tie it up. But you know, throughout the game, I thought Edmonton was the better of the two clubs and had the better opportunities. Both goalies were good though. Like Jack McNaughton was really good for the Calgary Hitmen, but I thought Dylan Miskew for Edmonton when Calgary did get a good opportunity, which they didn't think they get a lot they, they got a lot of, but when they did, he did shut the door. So Oil Kings, you know, push it to O T or you know, get it to to O T and then uh, the goal by McLeod, which was you know, it was just a wrist shot from the point that there was uh, there must have been some traffic. I couldn't figure how it would have got in otherwise. It uh, just went straight in, but I think there was a little traffic in front of McNaughton. I guess that's why you put it on the net. But, yeah, yeah good good work by Edmonton, and uh, hopefully for the Oil Kings, uh, they can finish it off tonight. Now, whenever there's a five-on-three power play late in a third period of a close game in the playoffs, that's always going to raise an eyebrow or two. What happened for those calls to put Edmonton down short late in the game? Well, Edmonton had an opportunity to get the puck out, 
they don't. And and Matthew Robertson knocks the guy down in front of the net. And okay, so they call it a cross check or whatever. And you know what? By the letter of the law, it absolutely was. So then, while the uh, while the uh, Oil Kings are, are killing the penalty, uh, it's it, it was uh, I, I think it was uh, Parker Gablis gets his stick just in the skates of the Hitman player and trips him up. Not intending to do it, but when you put your stick. Between you know, in their skates, you certainly run the risk. He probably didn't really need to do it at that time as the puck was in the corner and there was no imminent danger. So they were penalties for sure. And then with the goalie on the bench, that made it awfully tough. But, uh, yeah, they found a way to win anyway. All right, so the Oil Kings can win that series tonight. PA up 2-1 on Saskatoon. Cam, the Blades got a big win last night. Uh, Kirby Dock, who I'm going to ask you about in a few minutes, uh, he got the only goal in that game as, as the Blades claw back into that series. I, I suppose if, I'll, I'll use the old common thinking here, if you're an Oil Kings fan, you hope to wrap it up tonight and have the Raiders and Blades beat each other up for seven games. Uh, we'll we'll see if Saskatoon can win tonight to at least force it to six. Well, yeah, it's a huge one tonight. If the Blades can find a way to grease out another victory, then it is, you know, it truly is game on. They had over 7,600 last night in Saskatoon. They're expecting more tonight. And that includes a lot of people coming down from Prince Albert because you sure as heck can't get a ticket there. Even when the Rebels were there in the first round, people were bringing milk crates to stand to stand because they were three deep in standing room. It was absolutely insane. The fire marshal special, I'm sure. Uh, Nolan Meyer gets the, uh, the shutout last night. I understand he was out of his mind good uh ian scott the toronto maple leaf draft pick who plays goal for the prince albert raiders was was very good as well it was a one nothing game so a second time this year the raiders have been shut out both times have been by saskatoon and by nolan meyer so i'm sure meyer will have to be extremely good again tonight but if saskatoon could find a way and then it's a it's a best of three i still you know the raiders are a, a heavy favorite but the Blades in the second half of the year, they closed that gap. And they could give them a real good push here in this series. And Everton Spokane will play tonight as well. Spokane up 2 nothing, uh in that series. Uh, it'll, it won't start till after Inside Sports is over, but I'll keep you updated on the scores in the other two games. Uh, I mean, PA has had such a, an incredible year. Is there is there a little weakness, though, or a little flaw that made you think going into the playoffs, uh, okay, maybe, like maybe this happens and they get upset? Not really. <laughs> uh, uh, after watching them all season and then seeing them in the playoffs, there isn't because they have they, they have great depth of forward, better probably better depth at forward than anybody else in the Eastern Conference. And their defense are pretty good, one through six. I mean, they got Caden Gooley playing as a 16-year-old. He's from Sherwood Park, but he's an amazing talent, and he was the first overall pick in the 2017 WHL Bantam Draft, and he's going to be a guy that will be highly touted by NHL scouts next year. So you'd think, oh, well, they got a 16-year-old back there, then, you know, how good could he possibly be? Well, as it turns out, he's pretty darn good. And the rest of the guys are, you know, older, stronger defensemen, and then they might have the best goalie in the WHL, and Ian Scott, so... They're a real handful. Like, Saskatoon has a very good team. The Edmonton Oil Kings have a very good team. But the depth of the Raiders is is prominent. You know, you never know what can happen in a series. And these are, are guys that are 16 to 20 years old. So, you know, things can go sideways in a hurry. But 
you know, looking at the roster, it's a pretty good roster. Cam Moon joining us on Inside Sports, play-by-play voice for the Red Deer Rebels. By the way, St. Louis and Winnipeg now the latest series to begin in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Two minutes in, no score. Jets took a penalty in the first minute. St. Louis into the final 20 seconds of their power play. Okay, we had this little thing called the NHL Draft Lottery that we were keeping an eye on during Inside Sports last night. It's always uh, thrilling television, Cam, to see uh, a, a man flip over big pieces of cardboard with logos on them. It's like, I'm kind of being serious. Like, just from a, I I mean, we work in the media, but we're obviously observers and fans of sports in the National Hockey League. Like, there's a certain absurdity to it, but yet you can't take your eyes off it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm thinking, like, why am I, why am I feeling, even after the Oilers were flipped over at eight, I still felt tense watching it. And I'm like, why do I feel tense watching Bill Daly flip over pieces of cardboard? <laughs> and, and if I watch Price is Right, I'm not losing my marbles if they don't get in the showcase showdown. You know? <laughs> Yet, I'm, I, that was on at the Saddle Dome last night during warm-up. And they didn't have the sound up, but you could clearly see what was happening. And, yeah, I was, I was riveted to it. So were the, the people that were at the game. And... Yeah, I'll, uh, I, I, I was I was tuned right in. As I would have liked to have seen Edmonton move up higher, but uh, yeah, it's what just, are you going to do? I, I, I just saw all the complaints on social media. It's like I thought the draft lottery was at six. I was like, well, no, the show's at six. They're not going to do a five-minute show from six to six oh five. They're gonna, they're going to drag it out and, and build up the tension. Anyway, number eight is where the Oilers are slotted to pick. We'll go with that. You know, you never know if there's going to be a trade or whatever. Eighth overall. So I'm going to ask you for a scouting report on some WHL guys. And then if you think in your esteemed knowledge and prognostication abilities, if you think that that gentleman might be still there when the Oilers pick eight. And I'll start with the aforementioned Kirby Doc. No. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't think he'll be available at eight. But And I'm not a scout, but I play one on the radio sometimes. Uh, Kirby Dock of the Blades is, is a guy that, uh, and a Fort Saskatchewan uh, minor hockey product. Yep. Big body, goes to the net. There'll be times where you go, gee, I haven't seen Kirby Dock for a while. And next thing you know, he gets like three points in the next three shifts. So he, he uh, has that ability to, to crank it up at times. And he plays hard. Like, I, I like the way he plays a game. He, uh, he gets in there, and he'll go to the net. And to me, it looks like, like he's not far off from being a National Hockey League player. And this fall, depending on who drafts him and what their, their situation is with their team, he'll probably get every opportunity. And this is a bumper crop for the WHL. Like, last year, they had two guys that went in the first round. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ty Smith from Spokane went to New Jersey and Alexander Alexiev of the Rebels went to Washington. And, and that was it. And that was a, for the first round. Anyway, it was, a, it was a bit of a down year. This year's an up year, and Kirby Dock's a big part of that. Uh, he, to me, looks like he's... And he's playing some of his best hockey right now in the playoffs, which, you know, I guess adds fuel to the fire that he's a gamer. All right, Dylan Cousins. I like Dylan. Now, Dylan Cousins is a guy that I see more than the other ones. So, I, especially like over the last you know, few years, not the, the previous two years, the Rebels played Lethbridge in the playoffs, 
and Cousins came up as a 15-year-old and played a bunch in the playoffs. A real complete player. Uh, good offensive ability, but good back in his own end, too. Uh, hasn't quite, I don't, I don't think he's filled out yet. Like, he's listed at 6'3", 180. He's probably going to play closer to 190, 195, like when he gets to his early 20s. But there's, there's not a lot of deficiencies in Dylan Cousins' game. So I, another guy that I think is, you know, if you can add a little bit more weight, is extremely close to being an NHL player also. But I like his game because it's, it's both ends of the rink. You think he's there at number eight? No. Okay. <laughs> no. Uh, Peyton Krebs, who he was on a really bad team this year, wasn't he? He did. The Kootenai, he was. The Kootenai I struggled. And Krebs was a shining light and played a ton and was good. What impressed me about Krebs is the CHL top prospect game this year was in Red Deer. And when Krebs was playing with top-end guys, he might have been one of the best players in that game. So then when you see him during the season, you're like, wow, if he plays with real top-end guys, like maybe he can raise his game to, to another another level like now he's not as big as doc or cousins so like it doesn't look like he has like an nhl ready body already but he certainly has top end skill he's he's more of your offensive power play type guy um that you know is is going to be a huge factor when it comes to a team's power play certainly for well it'll be the winnipeg guys next year it'll be a big part of that for sure he could he could be available at eight. Okay, and uh, the last guy I'll ask you about is Bowen Byram out of Vancouver. Yeah, he's a, he's a freak of nature as far <laughs> as defensemen go. Like he's just he's so good, Reed. Like he he handles the puck well. He skates well. He he's smart. Uh, I I think he had six overtime goals this year. Six, like. And I realize it's three-on-three, three and, and, you know, defensemen aren't playing defense. They're playing one of the three guys. Like, you're, you're kind of a rover if you're any one of the three. But, my word, like, to have that many, like, it, it just tells you what he can do offensively. And he can do things defensively, too. Uh, because he's a defenseman and because he's had as good a year as he has had, I doubt he'll be available at eight. Uh, I Maybe, but I think it's a kind of a long shot. And Byram is probably only about a a year away at most from being an NHL defenseman. Like it's been, it's a real good year this year in the WHL. It's been a lot of fun to watch all of these guys. Yeah, I I mean I even wonder if Byram goes third or fourth. I, I mean, oh, like, it's possible. Like, like you said, D. yeah, just because he's a defenseman and a guy who can skate, does a little bit of everything. And yeah, that he's he's pretty enticing to me. Okay, yep. but so probably Krebs out of the four I mentioned is the best bet to be available to the Oilers at eight. And obviously there are what three guys out of the USN not Hughes, obviously, three other guys out of the, the national development team program in the States that could be there for the Oilers, a couple of Swedish defensemen, so that'll be interesting to follow. I know this from last year, Cam. Uh Bouchard, Dobson and Wallstrom. I thought the Oilers would be lucky to have one of those guys available at 10. All three of them were there. 
and they wound up going 10, 11, 12. So it, oh, it, yeah, yeah, things can change on draft day yeah, quickly. It gets unpredictable once you get yeah. there. Uh, Cam, I really appreciate you checking in tonight. Somebody uh, texted in because you have a sense of humor. They must know you do as well. Uh, is Warren Moon Cam's cousin? I well, don't there think is a so. picture of Warren Moon in my office <laughs> that I hold near and dear to my heart. He is my all-time favorite Edmonton Eskimo, and I, ha- you know, I love the Edmonton Eskimos. But we are not, in fact, related. Well, you're the better athlete of the two. <laughs> I wish. Cam, <laughs> <laughs> we got to do this again, buddy. I really appreciate the update. The gr- great thoughts on those prospects, and thanks for uh, giving us a first-hand hand account of what you've seen in the Oil King series. We'll talk right again on. soon, thanks. buddy. Anytime, uh, you know where to find me. That is Cam Moon from the Red Deer Rebels play-by-play chair. Love having him on the show. It is 6:22. Hal Gill from the Nashville Predators radio booth is coming up. We'll take a timeout. Inside Sports on Chet. The Columbus Blue Jackets are on the board thanks to Nick Foligno, but they still trail the Tampa Bay Lightning 3-1 halfway through the second period. Islanders leading the Penguins 2-1 after one. No score. Blues and Jets halfway through the first period. Stars and Predators in a little over an hour. We'll have Predators color analyst Hal Gill on the show in the next half hour. Uh, he played over a full season's worth of games just in the playoffs alone, so we'll get his, some of his postseason memories as well. Good to have Cam Moon on the show. He called Bowen Byram, the defenseman out of the Vancouver Giants, a freak of nature and a year away at the most from playing in the National Hockey League. He's going to be a very enticing pick. And Cam made a good point and how the cycles work sometimes. Last year, just two first-rounders out of the Western Hockey League into the draft. And according to what Cam is saying, probably three in the top eight with uh, he thinks just Peyton Krebs out of the dip WHL would be available to the Oilers at number eight. So that'll be a big story here as we roll along. Speaking of uh, Oilers prospects, I can tell you that Tyler Benson and Shane Sterrett have been named to the American Hockey League all-rookie team. Sterrett the goaltender, Benson the forward. Benson uh, with the team leading 63 points. He is plus 19 in 65 games, and he is uh, fourth in the entire American Hockey League with 49 assists. Sterrett, uh, quite a story. Uh, I mean, I didn't uh, have him very high on the Oilers' prospect chart going into the season. Maybe he's bumped his way up a little bit. 40 appearances in net for the Condors, 25-7-5, had a personal 14-game winning streak from the second week of January until late February. Fifth in the AHL with a 9-19 save percentage. So a couple of Oilers prospects to keep an eye on. Hal Gill, when we get back, Inside Sports on Chet. Oil Kings Hitman, 7 o'clock tonight in Calgary. Oil Kings will go for the series sweep. We'll keep you updated once that gets underway. Seven minutes left in the first period in Winnipeg. They have the whiteout going on. It is scoreless. Also, 2-1 now. Islanders leading the Penguins after one. Brock Nelson with the goal-head goal. And the Lightning and Blue Jackets were the first series to get underway. And, man, it was a fast start for the Bolts. Jenner across the blue line. It's Texier left circle, left circle. Jones is stripped and Corn counter short in a breakaway. Corn and alone holds, shoots, scores! Alex Corn a short in a goal, and it's one of the Lightning. 
That was early in the game, just 4-12 into the game. Columbia, or, uh, Tampa Bay led 3-0 after the first. The Blue Jackets did get a goal in the second period. Five minutes left in period two. It is 3-1 in favor of the Lightning. So we'll keep an eye on those games. Stars and Predators will start in about an hour. Golden Knights and Sharks don't play until 8.30 tonight. I did predict. I did predictions, Patrick. Okay. Because why wouldn't I? Why not? You're a sports guy. You're supposed to do that. Did, uh, are, they, are they starting to come true? Uh, well, we'll find out. <laughs> I, I, considering I'm the one doing predictions, I doubt they will come true. Oh, don't say that about yourself. You can let others say that about you. Like, Reed Wilkins uh, is always wrong. Line A just scored, by the way. 6.32 left in the first period. Jets go up one nothing. Here's what I have. And I did these on Oilers Now yesterday. I picked St. Louis over Winnipeg in six. I picked Dallas over Nashville in six. I took Vegas over San Jose in seven. Calgary over Colorado in five. I have Pittsburgh beating the Islanders in seven. Washington over Carolina in six. Tampa Bay over Columbus in five. And Patrick, the one I really went out there on, I took Boston to sweep the Maple Leafs. Four straight. Because why not? Oof. Well, why not? You don't, Not the Leafs to sweep Boston. No, I took Boston to sweep the Leafs. Well, Boston should win the series. Probably. I'm just taking a sweep, just to be a little different. Scott from Boston's rubbing off on you, eh? <laughs> well, <laughs> if, I, if I was Scott for Boston, I wouldn't know that the Bruins were in the playoffs. That's true, yeah. We have a hockey team? <laughs> I don't know if all our listeners know who we're talking about. I'm going to assume many of listeners to Inside Sports also listen to the Oilers broadcast. There'd be a bit of a logical connection there. Scott from Boston started calling, what, maybe a third of the way through the season? About that. A uh, very entertaining young man. I'm not sure what he does for a living. And not that there's... I mean, it's obviously there's a whole bunch of different shifts. I mean, you and I work unusual hours, but he really had the time to be up well past midnight Eastern time and call a sports radio talk show in Edmonton. And he would... Would he not stay on hold? Sometimes he would stay on, sh- on hold for the whole show just right. to listen and, and to the show. Right, and he would call in right after the game, and wouldn't he, st- he said, just bring me on whenever and keep me on hold after. Yep. So it, very interesting, and he referenced calling different types of talk shows in Boston, political, sports-type shows, and uh, very, uh, very mostly entertaining, obviously a little, uh, little all over the map sometimes. But he called in, well, first of all, he called in with about 10 games left in the season, and said he wasn't going to call again till the end of the year. He or till next year. Sorry, till next season. He called in the very next game and I refused to put him on. And then he called in with about 5 games left and he was very upset that Connor McDavid had never played an NHL playoff game. And he had to enlighten And I him. said, "Well, obviously we wish he'd played more, but just to get the facts straight, Connor McDavid has been in the playoffs." And he was like, "What? When?" And of course Scott claims to be a huge fan of the Edmonton Oilers. Since he was three years old. Since he was three or four, and a huge fan of Wayne Gretzky and follows the team religiously and listens to games or watches games when he can. But apparently he just happened to miss the story of them being in the playoffs two years ago. So if I were Scott from Boston, if I were Scott from Boston, I, 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 would, be, I would be picking the, the, the Baltimore Silver 7 or whatever they were called, <laughs> to make the... the Quebec Nordiques. The, I'd, be, I'd be picking the Quebec Nordiques to win the Boston-Toronto series. Very, very entertaining guy. But I, I was quite flabbergasted he didn't know the Oilers were in the playoffs two years ago. 
I would think that's something a lifelong Oilers fan. Maybe you would have caught that at some point. I mean, I realize we have other things going on in our lives. Sometimes you get busy. But you think at some point, even two years later, you might have read like, oh, they made it. Hey, interesting. Got a text here to 630-630. Hey, Reed, who are you picking to win the Masters? I'm taking Tiger Woods. It's time. That is from Victor. Masters starts tomorrow. One of my favorite events to watch, despite the somewhat shady history of Augusta National. Uh, I'm going to take Dustin Johnson. I will say this about Tiger Woods. I have loved being an adult and during his career and being able to truly appreciate how great Tiger Woods was and still, I mean, he's still ranked 12th in the world. It's not like he's totally dropped off the map. He's come back very strong from all his, all his issues. He's still an outstanding player. He's going to be a threat to win. I, I, here's the, here's what, how I've always felt about Tiger Woods, Patrick. Did I cheer for Tiger Woods earlier in his career when he you know, had the stretch? He won the Tiger Slam, the string of 11 majors. He won seven. He got up to 14 majors. Did I cheer for Tiger Woods? I actually didn't. But, but it also wasn't that I didn't like him or that I was cheering against him. I just felt like cheering for Tiger Woods was like cheering for the sun to come up. If you if <laughs> you wait analogy. long enough, it's going to happen. That's a good cheering analogy. for Tiger Woods to win a tournament was like cheering for him, like cheering for the sun to come up. If you watch long enough, it'll it'll happen. I just more appreciated when he could do it. I, I enjoyed when he got the challenges from Bob May, Duvall, Mickelson. Uh, you know, why Yang beat him beat him in a PG. I, I enjoyed what he brought out of other competitors, or when he simply was so good he just pulled away from those great competitors. But now that he's older, and Tiger and I are very close in age, but about a year and a half apart. So I don't know why I should feel connected to him. Maybe it's just seeing that first number of a four and all these younger players uh now i kind of actually cheer for him now i more actually want him to win a tournament because i do think he's the greatest golfer of all time even though he he may not get to to nicholas's record but i do think he's the greatest golfer of all time and it'd be cool to see him at his age win the tournament i i realize you know i i've read a couple of the books about him i mean hey is he the warmest fuzziest human being on the planet well no he isn't that's why you like him. a lot of pro athletes have that you know, they they have that to de- their demeanor, especially publicly and when they're competing. So it, it would be neat for me to see Woods win. I am going to pick Dustin Johnson. Okay, we'll take a quick timeout, and then we'll catch up with Hal Gill when we get back. Still one nothing. Jets leading St. Louis. Minute and a half left in the first period in Winnipeg. Our next guest has a Stanley Cup ring. He's now a color analyst for the Nashville Predators. Please welcome back to the show, Hal Gill. Hal, how are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. It is great to have you on the show again as we roll into another postseason. Of course, you're covering the Nashville Predators, and I had to double-check, Hal, and this is this is a pretty impressive number, man. You played 111 postseason games. I, I knew it was a pretty substantial number, but man, that's like a season and a third you added on to your career just in playoff games. And I think I might hold the record for never scoring a goal in the playoff game. So that's you know that's impressive too. But uh, yeah, it was my favorite time of the year. I think it took me a while to figure out what it was all about. When I was younger, and I maybe I didn't appreciate it as much, but as I grew older in my career, I 
certainly grew to love it. And man, I miss this time of year. I, I, I still get the buzz as soon as the as soon as the uh, the weather turns warm. It's like it's excitement time, and um, you know I can't play, but I'm excited to cover. I wasn't going to bring that up about not having a goal because that wasn't your role, right, Hal? You were, <laughs> that was, you, I, don't, I don't think you were relied on that, especially a couple of the teams you played on. They had other guys who could do that. Yeah, if they were relying on me, they're in trouble. <laughs> so what do you remember? Uh, I mean, you mentioned obviously uh, figuring it out a bit as you got deeper into your career, but what was, uh, what was Hal Gill, the player, doing on a night like tonight the night before the first playoff game did you did you change your routine did you have to calm yourself down like what was that uh this is sort of that the christmas eve before the playoffs started like for you when you were a player well you're as a as a player i i relied on my routine it was like you know nothing could rattle my routine um that was all that i really cared about so i i stayed on the routine but there's definitely uh, when you're playing against one team for a possible seven-game series, you you, you want to know more about the players. You want to know more about what, what you're going to see out there. So, um, I, you know, what I loved about it is is the visualization and thinking about it. You know, if you're playing against, uh, you know, like the Preds going into it, thinking about Sagan, uh, I'd, I'd be playing him over and over in my head and what is he going to do and how am I going to handle it. Uh, it's it's kind of fun the the excitement that goes into it just kind of consumes your whole daily life, which is, you know, in the regular season, it's a long year and you have to slough it off, but it's really all you do is think about hockey when you when you get to playoff time. How much did you rely on video when you were a player? Uh, early on, not too much, but as it, as it went on, uh, I relied on it a lot. Um, just the subtle movements, uh, the subtle exchanges with your D partner, um, I watch a lot of video with my D partners, especially in the playoffs, because, uh, you know, if you can, you know, exploit something and, and do it together, I think it was a lot more effective than just trying to do it on your own. Um, you know, it was a lot it was a lot harder to do back in the day when you had to backtrack a VHS in order to find a clip. Uh, nowadays, you know, all your shifts are right on there, so you can, you can sit down in a half an hour, you can watch all your shifts and, and kind of talk about what you need to do different and think about how you want to handle things differently. So, uh, you know, certainly in the last few years, I was watching a lot. You know, you know, you were obviously joking that, that you didn't score, but like I said, that, that wasn't your role. And, uh, you know, you're, you're a big guy, you're a physical guy, you could, you could be intimidating out there. Did the rule did, does the rule book change in the playoffs? I, I mean, I know most refs will say no, 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 no. We got to call it the same all the time. But I think most observers would say, "Hold on, wait a minute. That's not what I see." Like, did you roll into the postseason feeling like, okay, I might be able to get a, get away with a little more ruggedness here? Yeah, it wasn't. I don't think the people think the rules change. I don't think the rules change. It's just playoff hockey is so much more honest. I, I find that. If you have a guy that's a perimeter player, um, you can't you can't hide. You know you need to you need to make the plays towards the net during the playoffs. Everything is a little more intense, a little more jam. Um, it's not necessarily. It's actually I think it's a cleaner game. It's just more of a physically physical demanding that you need to. If if you're a perimeter player and you get called out, it, people know it, and you get you get dubbed as that guy who can't compete in the playoffs. 
Now, if you're a guy that turns it up a notch and drives to the net and battles and has constantly got his nose dirty, then you become a playoff player and everyone wants to be that guy. So I, I just think you have to be honest with yourself and your teammates know it and, you, and your, especially your opponents know it. And I knew if I had a guy that wouldn't come to the net, um, and, and let's be honest, I was a better player when someone would come at me and, and challenge me and, and make me play a one-on-one. Uh, I think that's why I loved the playoffs. But, you know, if those guys didn't come at me and didn't try to make plays and didn't try to go to the hard areas, they got exposed pretty quick. Okay, well, that, that's interesting. It leads me to this question. What what smaller player or, or quicker player, I guess you can pick one or the other, uh, gave you the most fits where you might have said to yourself, I, I should be able to stop this guy or I should be able to keep him to the outside. But boy, he's a, he's a tough little rat and he keeps getting in there. Yeah. Um, you know what? I was, I was laughing because there's certain players that, um, you know, were rats. Sean Avery was a rat, but it was just, um, you know, he wasn't, I don't think he was necessarily uh, tough to play against. It was just annoying to play against. And so if, if you're a playoff player and you and you play with that kind of, I don't I, I don't want to say intensity, but with that little that little rat mentality, uh, you know a Matt Cook, so to speak, then you can get under guys' skin. But uh, you know I look at guys like um, and I'm and I'm and just because I'm looking over the the notes, Matt Zuccarello is a, is a guy that is so shifty and quick in the corners. Uh, Martin Martin St. Louis was a guy like that. Um, that were, were smaller in stature, but, you know, they kept coming, and they kept coming. Brian Gianta was a guy, a smaller guy, but played with a ton of jam. And playoff time, uh, when those guys, with the speed and, and the ability to jam at the net, uh, those are that's what really pays off. And I, I, I find there's just a couple names, but there's a list of guys, but there's also a list of guys that you knew to pack it in in the playoffs, and, and you just kind of sit there and watch them pack it in. Hal Gill joining us tonight on Inside Sports. So, I mean, your your three longest playoff runs, you had three in a row, 08 Pittsburgh, 09 Pittsburgh, and then uh, 2010 Montreal went to the East Final, didn't quite make it to the final. Those two Pittsburgh teams, I mean, that's, uh, for me anyway, what a lot of people remember you for being on those teams. Uh, I think you were on the ice, right, when Fleury made the, the diving stop at the end of Game 7 in Detroit. I, I seem to have this image of the save being made and you lifting your arms in the air. <laughs> I, I think I was there. I blacked out for most of it, but yeah, it was uh, an exciting time. You know, as soon as that, I, I blocked the initial shot, and it was sitting there, and I it went over to Lindstrom, and I had to sit there from from a bad angle and say, "Please don't go in." And of course, Flower made the bodyguard save and and got us there. But that was those are two good, great series. Two two, uh, you know, the game seven to win in game seven was fantastic, and then the year before against Detroit. Uh, to lose in Game Six was devastating. So talk about two opposite sides of the spectrum. It was uh, some great battles. And now that I think about it, Thomas Holmstrom was was a guy that was, you know, he was he was going to, and you knew it, and you had to try and stop him. It wasn't it wasn't always easy. What was it like getting back to the final in 09 and, and against the very same opponent? Because I'm sure, obviously, that was a focus for the team. You guys knew you had a team that the window was open, if I want to use that term, for, for the team to to win the Cup. I mean, was it what was it like coming off a Stanley Cup loss and going through that whole season with that, I assume, that hunger to get back? Yeah. It, it, well, you know, you never know when you're going to get back there. I think I played for enough years at that point where... 
I knew how hard it was to get to that point and to be Pat Burns always used the statement that there's nothing better than being the only game in town. Uh, you're, you're the only thing that anyone's talking about, and uh, it, it's a pretty special feeling. To get back to it, uh, you know, is your ultimate goal. And to, uh, you know, it's, you don't know if you can get there, but you give everything you can to get back just because once you get a taste for it, it's, you know it's the best, and you know it's the reason why you play. Everyone says it's the reason why you play, to win a cup and to be in the final games. But until you get there, you don't. I don't think you realize it. And and to get there and lose was devastating. Thank thank goodness we made it the next year and won it. All right, Hal. Obviously, you're going to be covering the uh, Predators and the Stars here. Dallas, a very stingy team. Nashville has been. Well, let's face it. They've been. They've been a great franchise, and you know they're they're one of these teams. They've been good for a lot of years. Haven't been able to to quite to quite grab the cup. Um, they're deep. They got a good D, uh, but man, I thought Dallas really, really put it together last two thirds of the season. What? Give me a scouting report here of the Stars. I guess from a, I know you cover the Preds. So what is most worrisome about the Dallas Stars for you? Well, it's tough. I mean, they have the higher end talent. They have Sagan, Radulov. Radulov just is coming off a great week. Um, you know, obviously Ben, uh, and then some young, you know, Klingberg and and Heiskanen on the back end. But I, I really think when the Preds have matched up against them, it's been the third line, the, the, you know, the Tomo, and, uh, you know, there's there's a, another level that they have. And I really think it goes back to Montgomery's defensive posture and the way he plays the game. It's not it's not the old Dallas Stars that were running and gunning. He's changed them around. And I think with, with good goaltending, uh, you know, both goalies really, I, I it still sounds like he's, Montgomery is, is split whether he's going to go Hudobin or Bishop. Uh, both are good choices, and Hudobin has been good against the Preds this year. So, um, I, I think I think the depth is going to be the challenge because I think the Jofa line with Nashville and and hopefully they found that second line between Terrace Gramlin and Smith. Um, and you know, I, I think the depth is going to be what wins this. I I do believe that the Preds have the upper hand in that, but it's still yet to be seen. We're going to find out over a seven-game series, can can the depth rise to the top and, and get it done for them? Well, Hal, uh, the first round, I mean, that's that's just a joy for, for fans. Obviously, here in Edmonton, we wish the Oilers were in it, but it's still obviously fun to watch it, especially the first week or so when there's eight series going on at the same time it's it's pretty compelling to follow all the games hey man i always love talking to you get memories of your career and uh, you're a great guest to have on the show so enjoy the playoffs here hell and thanks so much for your time yeah i'll say this round of the playoffs is always the hardest it's just uh, an all-out battle you better be ready for game one and so i'm excited for that to happen and you know what i'm sorry that we don't get to see mcdavid in that it's that's the most disappointing part because he really should be there so hopefully soon great stuff Hal that is Hal Gill check it in as he gets ready to call game one between the Predators and the Stars Trucker Dave texting in he says a great interview with Hal well-spoken guy excellent insight on the game yeah really love talking to him uh also got some pretty uh angry texts Patrick from somebody who dislikes Tiger Woods and does not want me to talk about him ever again Okay. Well, I'm paraphrasing, but that's because the of, general of gist the of, the, of the text. Uh, yeah, just doesn't like him. Just, but just basically hates Tiger. Thinks I have a man crush on him. Oh. Well, I could do worse. 
<laughs> you should be so lucky. They <laughs> should be so lucky. You know? Yeah. Well, in the wake of that, next hour of the show, full-on memories of Tiger Woods' career. The highs, the lows, the in-betweens. I'll put together a montage. We'll put together a one-hour montage <laughs> just for that person next on Inside Sports. We may also bring on Pat Steinberg to tee up the Flames and the Avalanche. Oh, who knows? Maybe we'll bring in Calvin McCarty from the Edmonton Eskimos as well. In between the love fest for Tiger Woods. It's like Woodsentine Day instead of Valentine's Day. It'll be TM. No. It'll be my Valentiger. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.